Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the Internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Welcome to On the Continent, your definitive guide to the week in European football. I'm Dotson Adebayo. I'm Andy Brassel. And I'm Miguel Delaney. On this closing of the transfer window edition, as Lukaku arrives in the Italian capital, will the Jose and Romelu Roadshow rule Serie A this season? Also, will the kids taking over La Liga teach the veterans a thing or two, or are they there to learn? And why are the Strasbourg Ultras objecting to a bit of football timeshare. Are there protests a sign of things to come on the continent? Well, let's start this show off by saying, didn't Nikki Bandini do well last week? She's the oracle, it turns she out. She is the oracle of Serie A. She predicted that Rome would turn out for Lukaku and they certainly did. 5,000 at the airport to meet him. Yeah, it would have been nice if she'd have sold, told some of those car owners in advance. <laughs> who uh, All those fans, of course, that we saw at Ciampino Airport standing on cars to get a better view of, of, of Lukaku and in some cases smashing in the windscreens and the roofs and <laughs> all, all, all the rest of it. But I, I think it's worth going back to, to what Nicky said about the, the, the fact that Lukaku has been in such a difficult position for most of this transfer window and before this this transfer window actually you know when he had that huge spurt of form towards the end of last season as if as we said at the time he realized 
shit, I might actually have to go back to Chelsea. It yeah. worked. I'd, I'd, I'd better get a move on. It, 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 really, it really did. But then the way he played his cards wasn't ideal. And so Jose comes and, 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 and saves him. And... I want you know, a champion, or I need a champion. Apparently, the words said to him. I mean, that's that's a great yeah. line, isn't it? Mourinho still has it. He really does. Yeah. But I, I think it's really interesting the position that both player and club are in. Miguel, they're both huge names. Yeah, but in a position where they. I really need each other quite no, that's badly. Exactly, yeah, it's, I mean, it is almost the ultimate marriage of convenience in that sense, isn't it? Yeah. And I mean, like, I've, I've got a, actually a fair bit of knowledge of what's happened with this, just through speaking to some of the people around it. And even like, I, know, I suppose, the biggest controversy in summer from Lukaku, I suppose, is really just how he went against Inter. Mm. Uh, or how he, like, it wasn't a sure thing that he was going to stay. And the way that was put to me was because it ultimately came down to the end of last season where Lukaku felt he'd got himself into really good fitness from around the spring on, was having an impact in games, but they were still starting Dzeko in all the big games. And right, okay, even though they were still telling Lukaku, you're going to be big for us, they knew Dzeko was going, and yet they were still using him. So for, I think it was just that simple consideration. Well, I have to be much more certain about my own future. Then, of course, the Juventus thing came up. But the, from what I'm told, the major issue with Juventus, I mean, because obviously one of the main themes of the whole summer, one of the main driving factors in this summer transfer window after the Saudi Pro League has been a group of major clubs all going for number nines. And it's almost been like there's a kind of a, a scale from that. Um, and Juventus kept basically insisting, well, we want, yes, we want Lukaku, but we need to get, Vla- we need to get Vlaovic out first. And they, were, they thought there'd be a market for Vlaovic. They kept saying there would be, and that just didn't transpire. I think Vlaovic was on a lot of lists but really way down. And I, I, this, is, put, this is Juventus's chickens coming home to roost to a certain extent, isn't it? Because yeah. we've talked for a while about the fact that they've become very, very bad at developing players. Now, when Vlaovic turns up, he feels like a bona fide superstar. You know, Juventus yeah. really pushed the boat out for him. Of course, that's the reason that they can't let him go for next to nothing. Now, yeah. they can't take the sort of hit on Vlaovic that Chelsea are taking on Lukaku, yeah. for, for example. But I think a lot of people look at Vlaovic and say, what's he really done at Juventus? I know. He, 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 he had a good start. Well, it's quite, I mean, and this is a player that, well, a year and a half ago was turning down Arsenal. Yeah. Um, yeah. But that was a year and a half ago. Yeah. A lot changes in a, a, lot, a, a lot year does and a half. Change. Well, yeah. I mean, someone put to me that his fitness has been affected. Maybe he's had an injury that kind of maybe just took away. Yes. He hasn't returned in the same way. But, it, for, you know, and also... All the more important because he was suddenly a rare number nine. Mm. Um, so you would have thought that would kind of you know improve his value, but it hasn't really hasn't really happened. Mm. The, the, it sounds like from what you're saying that if Inter had shown the love, uh, Lukaku might still be there, but they well, didn't well, quite show it. Or, well, I, I don't you know, know I mean? because I, I guess is what you expect in terms of love. he expects a lot in terms of love. Yeah. Yeah, he's yeah. always that sort of player who's benefited from the. Arm around the shoulder. You look at his, his, which his, Mourinho is not. Yeah, no, no, it's well, fair to gonna say. Be, are we going to be discussing that. that at some point? We're, this we're coming to that. We're coming to that in a moment because, of course, <laughs> Lukaku, Lukaku, and Jose Mourinho have history together. I mean, you say that it feels like a marriage of convenience. I would say it feels like a second marriage of yeah. convenience for them. And it's whether yeah. that love that they had once upon a time well, because I, I, Lukaku I, rates him. As a coach, he yeah. had his good times. Well, I, I, so again, that was one of the reasons why actually Lukaku was first so convinced by Juventus and then uh, Roma was because the managers, Allegri yeah. and then Mourinho. But even you, you pointed, I suppose, their, their previous history. Let's not forget what happened that summer as well, where in, in truth, Chelsea wanted Lukaku and Conte mm. wanted Lukaku and United wanted Morata. 
and they both got the other one just because of the way the deals fell. Mm. Um, and obviously it didn't end too well for Lukaku at United or Mourinho for that matter. But it's it's funny, isn't it? Because the relationship between Lukaku and Conte at this point is the key relationship of, of his career. Yeah. Conte is the, the coach who's had difficulty in so many ways in, in, in recent years. And to, the, to, to the point that, that, that other people in football have, have described uh, Conte to Lukaku as your daddy. <laughs> <laughs> but he, he got the best out of him in, yeah. in, in a physical way, in a form way, all of it. And I don't know is, if it's a bit of a stretch to say maybe Lukaku's looking at Mourinho at this point and thinking, yeah, maybe I could benefit from a bit yeah. of tough love. Because remember, he was a huge candidate, I think, to take the... The Saudi money. Yeah, I mean, he went back oh, to. Like, offered him, from what I'm told, so I think he's on around seven million net now a year, which is a big cut from. And he would have got, before, he got yeah. forty million at Saudi Arabia. Mm. I mean, it's incredible, yeah. isn't it? And I, actually, from that perspective, I think you say fair play to him as well to be willing to. Stay, I mean, given this has been another discussion of the summer, to be willing to stay, like to prioritize top level football. Yeah, yeah. I, and I, I think the age is is something to do yeah. with it as, as, as well. You look at him going into his thirties, just about to go into his thirties. Which seems a remarkable thing because you know Lukaku always seems like a young player. Doesn't yeah, he? yeah. But but he is at that point where he's one of those players. If he's going to Saudi, he's probably not coming back to yeah, the yeah. to the top table. Yeah, and to to yeah. leave it like that, I I think is is maybe something he but, he couldn't deal with. But it's it's interesting because what you were saying about his burst of form towards the mm. end of end of last season. I mean, before that, he did go. Seven months and yeah, there are injuries, etc. Seven months without scoring an open play goal well, in, in, well, in well, Serie A. Wasn't, wasn't the ex- from what I'm told though, well, what they feel the issue was was basically he wanted to be ready for the World Cup and it ensured that he just he he wasn't he, he wasn't fit enough at the start of the World Cup. But but Jeco always yeah. showed up in the big Champions true, yeah, League yeah. games, which which was which was the thing. I mean, I guess he went back to Inter, yeah, expecting the same sort of love yeah, that he had yeah. before, but one. The way he left changed yeah. the way the ultras feel felt about him, and two, Conte wasn't there anymore. Yeah, yeah. So that that made a difference, the, didn't the, it? The other side to this as well, I mean, because obviously, even the way we're talking about Lukaku now, he's uh, I suppose he's a player that's provoked a lot of debate about his true quality, particularly in mm. England. But I mean, I was told even when Roma came in, so did AC Milan. Mm. Um, so like, so what? So that's essentially the Juventus interested. He's obviously been an Inter, yeah, yeah. Roma, and so basically <laughs> all. Of, um, they know he's got something. All, 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 all of Italy's top brass, mm. and it does kind of point to this comparative role in Syria. Where he's, I mean, he has been the kind of the king of Syria in that sense. But it's like Mourinho, isn't it? Yeah. His stock is higher in Italy yeah, yeah. than it, it than it is in anywhere else. And so, from that point of view, I, I think it's, it's an intelligent decision to, to to throw your lot in with with staying in of Serie A. Of course, but the big question is, what difference would it make? We know that Josie perhaps didn't have the best season with Roma. Uh, last season and we know that Romelu Lukaku didn't have the best season uh, but together what they've done together I think they played 76 matches um, with Mourinho being the coach of uh, Lukaku and he's scored 33 goals and provided 11 assists in that time not a huge uh, return I'd have thought for a, for a number nine that we're all well in Italy certainly they're Treating as if he was Jesus walking on water. I, I guess yeah. you. I guess you would say he was a lesser version of Lukaku at that point because that was before Inter. Ah. That was before. I think when he wins the title at Inter, it's like this is the player he always could have been and always should have been, and the yeah. player that yeah. he always felt he was. Um, 
going back to what Miguel was saying about how he fairly felt he should have had more of a role in the run-in and how he should, should have started the Champions League yeah. final, etc. last season. Now, there's a lot riding on this. And I have to say, Thiago Pinto, the sporting director of, of Roma, has played an absolute blinder for Mourinho here. Now, whatever happens next, Pinto can say, well, look, I did everything I could because they're under FFP restrictions that have never been seen by a Serie A club before, Roma. And what are those restrictions? Like in, in terms of what they can spend. Okay. Like, which is basically nothing, not much at all. The, the reason they've got the latitude to do this is because to, to take him on loan, which is still a massive effort for them, is because they've sold fringe players and mainly the sale to Saudi, to Al Akli of uh, Roger Ibanez. Uh, the Brazil centre-back at the end of last season for 30 million. Um, and what what Pinto has done, if you think they spent a fortune when he first arrived and they've not really managed to make a great deal back in the meantime. Now, the last couple of summers, by playing the clock, they found the opportunity to sign Lukaku, which, Miguel, didn't look possible mm-hmm. at all at the start of the summer. Last summer... They signed Paolo Dybala, who didn't look possible at all at the start of the window. Now, I guess the other side to that is because these players have had, and Lukaku, I guess, falls into this group, has had a sort of not full pre-season with a team sort of summer. I think it probably takes until about October for us to get to the point where we can sit and say, okay, it's working. Is, is, is it going to work or, or, or is it not working? Mm. Exactly. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't think we'll be able to make a judgment like now or in two weeks. But Lukaku's arrival at Roma fills a hole, uh, which has been gaping since Tammy Abraham went off injured. Yeah. And in that respect, I, I mean, I generally want to know, is he a stopgap centre forward for Roma or is he a title contender? Centre forward for Roma. Well, it's you know what? It's a great question because it's still a really open league. I mean, it's the most open of the top five leagues in Europe. There's no doubt about that. If you had best version of Lukaku and best version of Dybala for the entire season, Roma are a title contender. But I think there... there Big but coming up? Yeah, there are so many other questions. Firstly, Dybala, who, again, picked up a little muscle injury going back last week to to Verona, might not play against Milan on Friday. We'll have to wait and see. When he's he's playing, he's irresistible. But there is the increasing feeling that he's made of glass. Now, of course, that is the reason that he ended up at Roma in the first place. With with him being... If he was in peak physical condition all the time, Roma wouldn't have had a chance at getting him in the first place. And that's the thing, isn't it? That Roma have got themselves in this position where they're kind of hamstrung, but on the other hand, they've shown an ability to pick up distressed assets. Now, if they can make those assets into 80% of what they can be, they can be something. But, you know, it's it's not just Lukaku. It's not just Dybala. There are risks elsewhere in the team. You look at Renato Sanchez, who, if he's fit, again, game-changer. But is he fit? Yeah. I mean, it's it feels like so much has to come together. I mean, there's, there's so many questions swirling around and informing this as well, of course, is that just some of the things I picked up during the summer, I think it would have suited Roma a lot had, say, Paris Saint-Germain come in from Mourinho. Uh, yes. That there, uh, that there was... Um, 
at least they would have been prepared to think about a shift in approach. Mm. Uh, and, and I know for a fact that a lot of managers, not least people like De Zerbi and Conte, were looking, well, if Roma comes available, that's an attractive job. Mm. Um, that didn't happen. And now I suppose, there's no, because he's he's still there, and it, crucially, the fans absolutely love him. You have to satisfy him. That, that's exactly it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so De Zerbi would have taken Roma over the Bryson job? I think it's the sort of job that Deserby would look to as a potential next step. Okay. Uh, um, you, that's not to say I'm not. I'm not saying he wants to leave Brighton immediately or anything like that. It's just that so, you so, haven't so, dug yourself out of that hole because Brighton supporters <laughs> are on the blower now. Yes, it was no, Miguel don't, don't, that said it. Don't, it was Miguel don't, Delaney. Don't, don't set another group of fans on me. <laughs> well, that's, that's, isn't that isn't that the whole Brighton model that that you're the step to something next? That's how they thrive. So, but I wasn't so thinking they should thrive like that with the coaches as well as with the players. But I suppose they do. I suppose yeah. one feeds off the other. Um, now, I don't know if either of you know the answer to this, but I started off saying, "Look, uh, Lukaku's arrival at Roma. How many fans do you think, or people do you think, oh. tracks that flight?" No, Miko, you can't look it up. You can't look it up. <laughs> you can't look it up. I'm going to you first, Gabo. Cheeky. Um, it's in the tens of thousands. I'll give you that. I was about, I was, so I was going to go eighty thousand. 80,000 is not bad, not bad. Do you want to have a go at this, Andy? I'm going to go 45. Are you sure you didn't look this one up beforehand? No, I'm really sure. Because I was going to say, if you did, you'd need to go and see that firm about <laughs> your glasses. Because it's actually 47,300. That is amazing. I, 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 think, I think the that really amazing, amazing thing, that uh, Dan Friedkin, the owner of Roma, as is his won't, uh, flew, the, flew the flight himself. Yeah, oh, really? He, pil- he piloted yeah. the flight himself. I'd know if that's part of the deal. You know, sign for, sign for us and you get a go in the cockpit. <laughs> it wasn't part of my question, but you do get a bonus point for that. There's another interesting story that Andy, thank you for prompting us on this one, is happening in La Liga, which is that the youngsters who famously you don't win anything with them, Miguel, um, are taking over the league, if not taking over the league, they're making prominent headway in the leagues, obviously led by Jude Bellingham, who amazingly, is he still a teenager? Is he still a teenager? Yeah. He is still a teenager. Incredible. He is, at the moment, the poster boy, I would have thought, for La Liga. And he's not the only one, because if you go over to Barcelona, they've got this young kid, which Andy has mentioned before. He's mentioned him several times, but he's coming of age now at 16, Lamine Yamal. And he looks a business, even though he only looks like he's 13 years old, I would like to say. I think that the, the thing is, I, I wonder how La Liga will maybe rebrand itself in the next little while, especially if it's going in mm. the direction of being, we'll come to Yamal in a minute, but in, in the way of branding itself, um, you know, maybe... The, the the league of the future, or you know, you know how league brands itself the league of talents. I don't think La Liga is yeah. quite going in that direction, but really because the the sheen has come off La Liga in the in, in the last couple of years, and of course part of that is because of the the, the aging of of some of its stars like mm-hmm. Ronaldo, like Messi, like Benzema, and because of the financial issues that La Liga's biggest clubs have had over the last couple of years, we've had some tumbleweed flying across these transfer windows there's no doubt about it compared to the other big European leagues that it was ready for some sort of youth takeover yeah I mean Bellingham's one story Lamal is different because 
it's sort of been prompted. He's he's got into the first team basically because not just because of his own excellent performances, but because Usman Dembele went. And in the words of Xavi, I couldn't do anything about it. Yeah. yeah, it's also. I mean, for all that we talk about, and we will in in this version of the podcast talk about the many issues of modern football. It's actually one of, also one of the kind of more encouraging positives in that. There's almost an inbuilt self-correction to the game because this, yeah. this cycle yeah. actually recurs. It recurs at team level and also at league level. So when these entities, in this case a league, gets to a point where it becomes so tr- top-heavy through kind of over-expenditure for so long, and especially on stars, that eventually there's, there's a bit of a reckoning. Mm. And we've seen that in Spain, especially as, as you say, the stock has dropped. And the, what's the only solution to that? Well, you play the kids. You throw the kids in. Um now, of course, Bellingham is a bit of a different case given they've I mean, made 100 million well, plus for him. It's interesting. Tr- Bellingham is the only true star mm. that the kids, you know, representing La Liga yeah. have at the moment. He's the only true star because what you were saying about the model changing and the correction you make, it's a correction from a model that was about the stars, you know, from back in the Galactica eras. Mm. It was about... La Liga was the top league because it attracted all the veterans, you know, the, the people who proved themselves, not the older... People, well, it was the, the top ten well, proven, proven yeah. stars, yeah, yeah. proven, yeah. proven mega stars. Right. And now they're going for another model, which is okay. All these kids are unproven, so it's not going to attract all the TV money. Yeah, we don't know what they can do apart from Bellingham. I would but but, have but that, that's mm. another way I think actually the market has flipped. And actually, I mean, maybe I suppose this is actually people applying more a greater business sense to football in that sense, and it might serve illegal in the long run. But I mean, if you think if you go back twenty years the world record prices, the highest fees were always for players in their prime because you say you, you knew they could do it. They're all, it's all mm. for players around 28, 29. And now that obviously seems like such an inefficiency because you, you spend more because you're not just buying a player, you're buying for the next 10 years. And because arguably a peak is sooner as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's true as well because it's a more you know, physique-based game. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So I, I think when, I'm still going to say when, Real Madrid signed Kylian Mbappe, yeah. that will feel like a, a sure thing and signing a player in his peak. You know, he doesn't really well, count as a young player before. Bellingham's a unicorn in this sense, isn't yeah. he? Because you, if you're Real Madrid, the way they've played it in terms of transfers in recent years, especially with the redevelopment of the Bernabeu, they've been incredibly frugal. And they've saved up, essentially, by shedding loads of big salaries over the last couple of years. And while they were saving all that money for Kylian Mbappe... And then the Mbappe deal fell through, of course. Well, it didn't happen yet. Yeah, well, well, it, it did fall through last year. Whether it will happen again, I, I, th- I think is a, a moot point. But, but it almost left them in a sort of default position to, 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 to get Bellingham. Because I think if you go back, like, a year? Less than a year, would you say? They're definitely not the favourites to get him. Like, they've always been in the mix to get Jude Bellingham, Miguel. but. I think even as recently as maybe even six months ago, seven months ago, Real Madrid not the favourite for Jude. I, I, have to, I have to say, I am blowing my own trumpet. I, I've 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 felt they've always been the favourites, and I wrote in January. I, wrote, I think it was second of January because back from the World Cup, from a conversation I had at the World Cup, right? That Madrid t- thought they were going to do it. Uh, I think the family and him, they were always just transfixed by the idea of playing for a, a mega club mm. Would you, uh, in relation to the wider point actually I suppose Madrid are almost uh, as Spain's I suppose most successful club as well maybe it's fitting in some ways that they actually really typify this this shift that we're talking about because it was four years ago they decided in this model and they, they, they're basically they were building a team 
for the next 10 years, which is pretty much what they've done. Yeah. Uh, in, the, in the kind of shift away from the Ronaldo era team. Yeah, it is. I, I guess the, the, the one missing thing is where Mbappe fits, isn't it? Yeah, because uh, of, it's Vinny's position, essentially. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, th- there's there's that, and that that is obviously a, a conversation that's growing in Spain. Mm. You know, where do you put Mbappe if he doesn't want to play as a centre forward? Where you put him is Barcelona, is where <laughs> yeah. I would go. I mean, no, honestly, because for La Liga, if you think about it, if you want to sell that product, we need to have... A balance of power. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and, yeah. You know, go back to that model. It worked for the World Cup, didn't it? It worked for the World Cup final. The, the, the one thing I have to say, though, what I like about what La Liga are doing, and I think this will work, it will take time, but it's, it's good they're starting. It's really trying to brand now beyond the big two. Because I mean, if you remember like mm. La, La, La Liga, which I would actually think as, as a true peak, not the, the recent Barca-Madrid era, but going back to the turn of the millennium when you had Valencia in Champions League finals, Deportivo, yes. one of the most admired sides in Europe. Uh, and there was there was such a kind of a spread of quality, and, and a lot of kind of you know of these you know the six seven play teams in the league had really good. I mean, again, we're feeding into bigger discussions here about uh, where European football is going again, mm. but um, but that's what La Liga should try to get back to as well. And I think they they do look to the Premier League in that sense because obviously, say one of the Premier League's great selling points in America has been like that. I think that NBC have gone in is pick your team. Um, yeah, which, 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 which is which cl- is easier to sell before Manchester City take over in the, in, 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 in the last couple of years. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> but, but, but yeah. I, I yes. think that there are two big blockages to that model for La Liga. I think one of them is Simeone at Atletico, yeah. and it's funny, you know, they they went to Rayo Vallecano and won seven nil on Monday night. Very, very impressive performance. They ended the, the last season very well. Yeah, and. It feels after another crisis point during the season. We, we were yeah, talking about how we were, but I don't know. Like when I, when I listen to people in Spain talking about it, it feels like everyone is back on the Simeone juice. Now. Okay, yeah, yeah. Which, like medium term and long term, is not a good thing for them. Yeah, yeah. you know, there, there is a point where they are going to have to move on from that. Yeah, and you know, it's easy to be fooled. I think when they have a run in like the end of last season at a point when they're already out of the title race. Yeah. And they're, yeah. They're, yeah, they're, they're, they're already out of Europe and it was a disastrous on a sporting level exit from, from the Champions League. The, the way they shot themselves in the foot in that was one of those, it felt like it could be a tipping point. The second point in terms of La Liga trying to brand itself as this, you know, sort of multiple, um, this league of multiple possibilities is Sevilla. Because mm. <clears throat> Sevilla are in a position where people in, in, in the wider football world can start to believe in them. Because, you know, so many Europa Leagues, you know, they're, they're a team that habitually goes and wins European trophies. In a season where they nearly get relegated, they go and win a European trophy and they're back in the Champions League this season. But and I think we're going to find out a bit more about this. Maybe by the time you, you listen to this, they, they'll have sold quite a few players. Um, they're in horrendous financial trouble at the moment. And they'd be in even more horrendous financial trouble if they hadn't won that penalty shootout and qualified for the, the, the Champions League. But the way they've built the squad, and in a weird way, this is kind of Monchi's legacy. And when you think what an incredible job Monchi has done for yeah. them over, over two periods, he's had a very bad last couple of years. And it's going to become apparent just how bad that is over the next little while. The way he's built the squad, yeah. in opposition to what we're talking about here, in, in terms of the fact that Real Madrid are getting younger... Barcelona are getting yeah. younger. The age of the Sevilla squad 
is a real cause for concern. And of course, your major get out yeah. is you sell players. You sell players of the future. Yeah, you sell yeah. your Kunde, you sell your Sergio Ramos, you sell, sell your Danny Alves. I haven't got any of those now. Well, funny, so someone was saying to me recently that, that, that exactly the issue of Manchi there is essentially it's the, the revolution he's been overtaken, something which happened to say, which happened to so many figures in football where mm. they come in, they do some, they, they have a new way of looking at things that changes how, changes recruitment. Then everyone sees that, catches up, but takes it to the next step and they're often... And the, do you adapt to survive? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's going to be interesting, I suppose, how he, you know, how he, how he does it from, from there. I'm yeah, going well, to give you a chance, Miguel, to blow your own trumpet again. <laughs> I, know, I, I know you only blow reluctantly, <laughs> but... but um, in contrast... Uh, well, I think I have to, given the abuse I've been taking the last 24 hours on Twitter. <laughs> that, that is justified, yeah. But it, the, La Liga doesn't work for all the young players emerging. I'm fascinated or interested to find out what happened with Ansu Fati. I remember you talking about him many, many times. Oh, you, you, I was about to say, I mean, you blow my, I mean, we wrote at something, I think it was about 6pm, that, yeah. that well, Spurs were in talks for, uh, with, for him, not that he was going there. But that changed very rapidly. And I think I think a move that's going to be a sign of the next 36 hours, which is this is going to be, I mean, we probably say this nearly every window, but it's going to be one of the most frenetic periods of any market we've ever seen. And yeah. it, is, it is one to really ca- capture the imagination, isn't it? The prospect of yeah. him, him going to Brighton. I mean, to, to put it in some sort of context, you know, he's been fated as the future of Barcelona since he was 16 years old. He's he's 20 now. He was given Messi's number 10 shirt once he left. And, you know, there was they were not shy about yeah. leaning on the historical resonance of, of, of that as well. But then again, that, they've been trying to ship him for a while now because, of course, that he was one of these young players who they were paranoid about leaving. And when we talk about the, the youth in La Liga, you know, Barcelona have had a lot of difficulties, especially with their financial problems. We think that their financial problems are, you know, how do they move in the the, the transfer market? How do they get big players in? One of their biggest problems in the transfer market, and you saw it with Gavi, you know, extending his contract, getting the number six shirt, the league telling them that they didn't have the money for that contract, so he had to give back the number six shirt and go back to his old contract. Now, that's that's now been sorted out, but they're going to face a similar problem with... Lamine Yamal, because they're still treading a financial mm-hmm. tightrope there at Barcelona. So, you know, they'll, 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 they'll want to extend his contract for as, as, as long as possible as, as he turns pro. Of course, he made his debut last season at, at 15. Now, 15 years, nine months. It's, it's remarkable, the isn't youngest. it? He nearly scored in Barcelona. that game as well. Yes, I remember that. Uh, and, and, yeah. and two weeks, two weeks ago, come, becomes the youngest player to start for the Barcelona first team. And he already looks like he's going to be there forever. Now, I think the reason you want this little word of caution is because of what happened with Ansu Fati. You know, we remember him making his debut at the camp, no, and then getting the tram home with his his dad and his brother, which is just just wonderful. But it's a little bit like we've talked about Nicolò Saniolo recently, about how everyone in Italy wants to believe. I think that is the case with and Sufati to a certain degree, because, I mean, in, in, in a way, Miguel, I, th- I think you look at Brighton as a spot for him, yeah. and you look at Detserbi's football, you look at their ability in regenerating players who've had huge fitness difitness difficulties, and he has had huge, huge yeah, fitness yeah, yeah. difficulties. I mean, that's essentially why he's not become the 
the star that they were making out. Yeah, and that's why they've reluctantly got their heads around getting rid of him. Now, at one point, they they would have sold him to to, to get him off the books. Now, now they're in this position that ideally they would like him to be regenerated and have him back because they're still in love with the idea of him. There's just a doubt over whether he can do it. Now, normally, I would say a player with a variable fitness record, whatever his ability, and his ability is enormous, but absolutely enormous, by the way. The Premier League is probably not the the, the place to, to find that fitness, to find that regularity. But maybe Brighton's a bit different. I mean, I know this is a, a different comparison with a, a player of... Uh, you know, varying age and profile. But actually, how they've rehabilitated Danny Welbeck into a good Premier League player, for example, when when he leaves yeah. when he leaves Watford, you think it's all over for him at Premier League level. I thought that when he left Arsenal. Yeah. Yeah, you know, you could go back to that. It's a yeah, very you could, you could. really very good comparison to make. Uh, now, the opportunity for you, Miguel, to wax lyrically into that horn... No, 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 just try to earn you some stripes, man. He's got plenty. He's got plenty. Okay, then. Well, let's take that away from him, then, and not give him the opportunity uh, to that. So, we said that Lamine Yamal became the youngest player to appear for Barcelona's first team at the um, age of 15 years and nine months. So, second quiz question for you. 15 years, nine months, and how many days, Andy? Well, I can read 16 days. Of oh, oh, gosh. Of Why didn't you tell me that before I said, anyway, <laughs> let's leave it at that and move on. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Yeah, protest in Strasbourg, it doesn't sound like a, a sentence that we normally <laughs> associate with OTC, but nevertheless... European Strasbourg, Court of Human Rights. Yeah, of course, yeah. yeah. We go there rather than go to Strasbourg to watch the protest, but they're protesting. The ultras of Strasbourg are protesting. And I know you'll have something to say on this mm. because there's a bigger picture, Miguel. But first of all, Andy, tell us why. Those... 
regular fans of Strasbourg have been concerned for a while because uh, Mark Keller, who used to play for West Ham, of course, he's been in charge there for a, a long time, has been looking for investment for a while. Um, now, they entered... Well, it became publicly clear they entered into talks with uh, Clear Lake, who uh, the the vehicle for Chelsea as, as, as well, um, about three and a half months ago, something like that. Now, Keller, who's had always a fairly frank relationship with, with the ultras there and the supporters groups, um, he talked to them when it became clear that Clear Lake were a, a, a possibility. And, you know, the, the, the supporters weren't shy at the time. They're like, don't let our club be subsumed into something bigger don't don't let our club become just a a nursery club <clears throat> and he listened to them took them on board did the deal with clear lake anyway and I've, i think when you look at those first couple of moves that strasbourg have, have made this summer it's clear what they're trying to do they're trying to allay the fears of the fans so they bring in patrick vieira a coach who that they wouldn't have got if you go back a little while. Now, of course, he's a big name, but, you know, it didn't work out brilliantly at Nice in the end. He had some good moments at Nice, as we've said on the pod before, but it, it didn't work out brilliantly at the end. It's not like them going and getting Marcelo Bielsa or anything like that. No, but are they not looking at Patrick Vieira from his Crystal Palace time? Which wasn't bad, you know. Thought... Uh, I, I, but, but again, it falls into the same category as Nice. Not bad, but, you know, not Fair amazing. Point. But, Fair you point. know, they, they had a good coach in Frederick Antonetti, who was tasked with keeping them up and, and did a very good job at that but Clear Lake decided no we want to go with a bigger name in Vieira but what they've they've done is twice in their first couple of weeks after taking over they, they, they broke the transfer record getting players that they wouldn't have been able to get otherwise um, now the feeling is particularly from uh, the game they played against Toulouse at the weekend where there were those protests the supporters aren't that easily fooled. You know, they're yeah. concerned. And, you know, we talked about this on the Ramble earlier in the week. It is supporters' job to question the owners. Oh, we have a job. All the time. We do. To make sure our club remains ours, we've got to keep those owners honest. And you can't just blindly follow what your club is doing and the decisions that your your What's... club is making. So you, you had these... Um, What's, Big banners behind the goal that the the minnow at the the, the weekend. I apologise, but what 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 is not honest about the way that Strasbourg have gone about this? Because when you look in the football firmament, clubs are doing this kind of thing all over the place. They're, yeah, they they are. But I, I mean, having having a sort of multi club model. Is, is not anything new. What does that we've, actually mean? We've, well, so one one entity that owns a, a series of clubs. So we've seen it with the City Football Group. We've seen it with Red Bull, although they've had to change the ownership structure. So both <coughs> Leipzig and Salzburg can, can play in European competitions New together. York, New York is part <coughs> of the Red Bull. Yes, and, uh, and, and Bragancino as, as, as well in Brazil. Um, we've seen it as well with uh, Redbird Capital who own Milan and own Toulouse, and there had to be a complete change. I mean, that's quite quite ironic, I suppose, why, why those ultras of Strasbourg were protesting in a game against Toulouse, who were kind of in the same boat. They had to change their management structure and the composition of their board this summer 
so that they could go into European competition. At one point, it looked like Strasbourg, uh, it looked like Toulouse, sorry, would be banned because Milan are in the in, in the Champions League as well. But just because it's something that's becoming more regular, it doesn't. What what supporter really wants that? This, I mean, the the, the first fundamental issue here is basically that it means i mean if if the fundamental of a football club is basically to play sport in representing its area it already kind of cuts across that because it's not just about its own area now it's part of something bigger uh, and i i think that's that is not something football authorities should facilitate or the game should facilitate um then i suppose the, the second part though is um it essentially means that these clubs in that no matter no matter the kind of the greater business strategy and even of course they 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 might see some benefits in terms of recruitment and things like that but also it's it's almost a kind of a, a calcification of well you can never be bigger than the the bigger club in this enterprise mm. so and now people will say that this is the way football is going this is the only way to adapt to that reality but i mean personally my argument would be that football should be looking at ways to push back against that to reverse this not make it further and the kind of spread of multi-club projects just kind of hardens all this. Um, it, it's it's why, it, it, and it's in, uh, also connected to that as well. I suppose, especially as regards the football authorities, it feels like it's one of those situations where this is just a problem that that that's evolved, and now football, as as ever, is catching up to try and deal with it, and it can't. And I think some of Sheffron's comments have been quite concerning in it. Sheffron. The, the UEFA president. Uh, he's 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 talked he's talked about um, you know, potentially loosening the regulations and whether they can play in the same competition and elements like that. I just, I, yeah, that, I mean, that's just saying that we haven't dealt with this and it's it, too it, late for us to do anything about it, isn't it? I suppose there, there are two sides to it as well. I mean, okay, on one side, it's sort of multiple club project say where they will set up a club in in a country and and build it from there. But even that, fundamentally, I don't think it's good for football, though, to have lots of clubs owned by the same owner. Um, and it, 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 it brings up issues. I mean, even if you want, if, like, I suppose look at the Newcastle situation. Now, the Newcastle situation is actually distinctive even in this, because, I mean, first of all, they're, they're 80% owners, uh, the Public Investment Fund. Um, they don't just own one club in another country, they own four. Um, and all, all of that while that... Although that is quite a new situation. Yeah, yeah. It's it, 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 post-dated yeah. them taking over Newcastle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah exactly, yeah. <clears throat> but, it, but it's still fundamentally a multi-club project in that yes, sense. Yeah. Yes, But that, I mean, there's another element there where it's a multi-club project, but it's also in a league that's been <laughs> the greatest disruptive force possibly ever seen in football that is quite specifically a political project with the owners also indistinguishable from the state. But no, no, <laughs> no, no players... Going the other way, you can say Alanson Maximum, but they 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 wanted to get rid of him. That was yeah, convenient yeah. to them, as it was convenient to Chelsea in dumping their ballast yeah, in, the, in, yeah. in, in the Saudi Pro League. Um, does it get to the point? Say, for example, like Newcastle's squad gets a bit stretched, yeah. th- with the Champions League, which I, I don't think it's off the table that they're say sixth or seventh, maybe eighth when it yeah. comes to the turn of the year. What is to stop them? Um, borrowing a load of players from their sister clubs and circumventing FFP. I mean, that would be like the biggest and boldest challenge to to FFP yeah. and this multi-club model yet, wouldn't it? 
Yeah, and, I, and, I, and that's another issue with this. And again, it's kind of like... And top-class yeah, players yeah, now. Yeah. These situations the football hasn't even considered yet. So then when mm. it's presented with them, it doesn't know how to handle them. So basically, no matter how Newcastle interact with, say, with the Saudi Arabian clubs, or even the Saudi Pro League as a whole, it's going to be put in the context of this ownership. And we've already, even in the Sam Maxim deal, which I have to say I would have thought was actually relatively low price, but even that became, came under huge focus from the other Premier League clubs because they're looking for any opportunity really to, kind of, to, to, to raise uh, questions so, about it. So what, what you're saying is, is doubtful, say, if Newcastle were to, I, I don't know, loan Sergei Milinkovic-Savage in the window, <laughs> which would be a hell of a cheap upgrade, yeah, yeah, for exa- yeah. example. You think the other Premier League clubs would be on that? Straight yeah, away. yeah, I think so. I think so. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting. There's a couple of questions that I have. Um, let's deal with the first one first. It it it, it seems to me this multi-club uh, project scenario can be looked at in different ways. Yeah, it can be looked at as the ultras of Strasbourg, who are not known for their militancy normally, are they, Andy? No, I mean they're they're bold and they're noisy. Yeah. Um. But but this is a situation they haven't had to deal with. We before, can all obviously. bark loud, but they also say non à la multipropriété. Non à la multipropriété, which yeah. translated no no to no to um multi clubs. Yeah. yeah. So I wasn't testing your French. <laughs> Yours is much better than me. But no to the timeshare is the translation I've got here. If you look at it as a timeshare rather than a aggregate of resources share, it becomes yeah, I, a different I, thing. I, I mean, I, 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 don't, as... I, don't, I don't think it is really. I, I, I think it's, it's, it's basically the, the same thing, slightly, slightly differently worded. Because as Miguel was saying, what matters is if you're in this multi-club model, and we've been there, if we go right back to the beginning, which is the, the first well-known multi-club model, really, um, in European football, is the Pozzo family. So you've got um, Udinese, starts with Udinese, then they get Watford, then they get Granada. <laughs> they, they since get rid of Granada, but you know, there's... That's the, about 20 years ago, <clears throat> was it? Yeah, and there's, there, there's, still a, there's still a lot of traffic between Watford and, and Granada. There, there's, there's, there's been quite a bit this summer. And with them, it's, you're right, it's about resource sharing. It's um, it, it sort of stems from a, what they've got. The Pozzos have a very sophisticated scouting network. And they bring a lot of players over from South America, Alexis Sanchez being perhaps the, mo- the, the most obvious one. And that sort of share of resources is a result of football's ridiculous spending because you've got to find another way to do it rather than just... I, I remember like when uh, Watford were first taken over by the Pozzos, a lot of other clubs in the championship and Ian Holloway, when he was in charge of Crystal Palace, was very vocal about this saying, how can they borrow 11 players? Now to me at at the time, I remember thinking you'd be fine if they were spending 140 million quid. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) You you know, it's, it's, it's a cultural difference, Mm. but of course with everything that goes unchecked in football as, as as Miguel was saying, there, there are unintended consequences. Consequences. Now, so another of these multi-club models at the moment, and I think transfers are such a huge part of this. And especially the FFP issue is a huge part of this. Now, we talked about Newcastle. This is already an actuality in France at the moment. We've seen a, a deal go through this week for uh, Ernest Nuama, who was he's 19 years old, Ghanaian, 
best young player or best player in the Danish league last season uh, for Nordsjælland. Fantastic. Um, he has ended up at Lyon. Of course, they are under quite severe financial restriction at the moment. Now, Lyon are part of a multi-club group, um, which involves Botafogo, uh, Molenbeek, Crystal Palace. So Molenbeek, who've just been recently promoted to the Belgian top flight, they go out and buy Nuama, a player who will never play for them from Nordsjælland. And they loan him to Lyon in the same day. Now, well, I, I, it's... That's taking the mickey of the but, football. But, but, but it's, there's, nothing, there's nothing illegal in it. And that's the whole problem, yeah. isn't it? But that, 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 the, that, I would have thought that it was clear from, you know, the original multi-club projects that the more clubs you own, the more power you have. And if there's a group of clubs... And the less equitable it is for sport as well. Yeah. It is. Uh, the, uh, the thing it, is, football's very, very bad at seeing conflicts of interest. Completely. completely. But you're about or, or, or predicting or envisaging anything that might be a future issue. Really, the, yeah. game, the game is so reactive. And yeah. if, you think, like, if you look at the major federations, it doesn't, it doesn't feel like many of them have like any sort of think tanks that are kind of, well, where's the game going? What, what, are, what are issues mm, that should we turn about? I'm putting in kind of... Yeah. Um, and and shockingly enough for businesses, um, th- there seems to be no plan as to when you're being undermined by individual parts of the conglomerate. Uh, I'm thinking of UEFA here, because if those clubs, if those five or six clubs or eight or ten clubs have got this mm-hmm. huge power of being multi-club enterprises, you are weakened as an organisation, yeah. I would have thought. Okay, and we've blown your trumpet a couple of times today, Mika. I think it's fair to say we should blow OTC's trumpet a little bit because not only did we predict that Roma was going to hail Lukaku in their huge numbers last week, got to blow our own trumpet, but we also mentioned Alexis Sanchez that you brought up again, Andy, today because it's going to be an interesting season for him. So if you're listening to OTC, you're lucky because you are at the very <laughs> forefront of the coalface of European football discussions. In fact, we're ahead of the curve, to be fair, which is why we always ask our guest to come up with a game of the week for you to enjoy over the weekend and also uh, to think of some food that would go with your enjoyment. So I'm going to go to you first, Andy. Uh, game of the week suggestion, please, recommendation, and also food to go with it. Um, you know what? I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm leaning a lot in Germany at the moment, <laughs> but but there's Why not? There, there's there's a great one uh, this weekend. Uh, Union Berlin versus Leipzig, two of the I'm gonna say it title contenders <laughs> yes. coming out to to play already. I, the Union stories are amazing. You know, two wins out of two. Um, eight goals scored, two conceded. I don't even think they played particularly well so far. But of course, that's a cornerstone of potential champions, isn't it? Now, we've talked about them taking a, a step up by the sort of players they're Indeed. signing. Robin Gosens, as I wrote about in The Guardian this week, um, played in the Champions League final and almost scored the equaliser with the last touch of the Champions League final. Made his first Bundesliga start at the age of 29 last weekend after a weird old career that's taken him he went through the academy system in the Netherlands then he went to Italy and now he's in Germany actually starting in front of Hansi Flick he scored two goals on that first uh, first um, start uh, he's looking the part they're just unstoppable Union Berlin 
But Leipzig, of course, have looked great this season. Um, Javi Simons has, has had a really great start over there. He had a great game last weekend against um, against Stuttgart. So, look, I'm, I'm not going to recommend any German food for this because, <laughs> um, firstly, I've got David Cartledge in my ear going, I'm not having that. <laughs> uh, and secondly, because Berlin's so incredibly multinational and Uniana <laughs> becoming more and more cosmopolitan yeah so you know what i'm gonna uh warm up some uh leftover calf cheeks from <laughs> from roma milan on uh friday night why did you have to mention the calf it's put me off um <laughs> and miguel uh, a food pairing with a game recommendation well, given everything we're saying it's tempted to go for leon paris saint germain uh especially given the kind of context of Paris Saint-Germain yeah. summer and, and the, the, and the kind context of, of Lyon as well. And, and, yeah, yeah, and, and Mbappe coming back. Uh, it's got to be, given everything we said, it's got to be Atletico Madrid, uh, Sevilla, especially as they kind of build up this head of steam, or at least Atletico do, and how far this takes them, um, whether this can develop into kind of a proper title push and a kind of another Simeone rebirth, which would be about the third or fourth. And Sevilla got absolutely battered in yeah. this fixture last season, yeah. 6-1. So, you know, a, a similar result would would have quite big consequences. You know, Sevilla don't have a point so far this yeah. season. And I will I go for that with uh, some Spanish morcilla, which is essentially uh, black pudding, but with some sort of applesauce. I remember <laughs> I had on one of my last trips to Madrid. Are, are you inspired by that um, video of Harry Kane eating vice versa this weekend <laughs> under the instruction of Thomas Muller? <laughs> with his hands or with a fork and knife? <laughs> That's my question. If you know, you know. Thank you for listening to On The Continent. Make sure that you join us again tomorrow for Ask OTC, where we'll be answering all of your questions about the latest news from the world of European football. And do make sure to subscribe in your podcast app so that you never miss an episode. On the Continent is a Stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. 
Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.